Hello, and welcome to The Game is About Glory. <laughs> oh dear, I've started laughing already. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me are Ricky and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hi, Steph. Hi, Steph. Hello, mate. God, dear. This is really becoming the It is still about part. glory, Steph, isn't it? It's it is the still Tottenham about glory, the game. Somewhere we have to distant echoes of glory is increasingly <laughs> what it's becoming. I mean, look, getting pounded occasionally at Newcastle is a very, you know, something that Spurs have done over the years. Um, you know, we've got December 28th, 1996. Jerry Francis era was a 7-1 defeat, you know, and even even Poch's first, uh, you know, real season with us, uh, 2016, we had the 5-1 defeat, which cost us second place, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just to remind you, this might be the, the one the huge note of, of cheer that we get tonight. Um, it was a little over a year ago that we thumped Newcastle en route to a top four spot, five goals to one. Uh, but I, look, I don't know about, about you two, but... Today's 6-1 pasting that the Geordies gave us earlier, um, it just feels so much more significant than any of those results uh, in context of where both clubs are, but specifically Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, from the setup to the overwhelmingly meek and feeble nature of the performance uh, to the potential consequences, we have plenty to discuss today. And before I throw it open to you, I just want to introduce some things that... Um, Alaric1805 said uh, he's a listener who, um, they're a listener, um, and they, they, they wanted to provide a few metaphor suggestions for this week's pod, which I thought was very, very, very nice. We like our metaphors. The Bataan Death March, the slaughter of the Roman legions under Varus at the Teutoborg Forest, the destruction of the German Sixth Army at Stalingrad, perhaps. Um, I, I was thinking much more that it was ended up being like the morning after an extremely aggressive curry when you first hit the uh, hit the loo. Unfortunately, it just all fell apart so quickly, didn't it? So, anyway, uh, yeah, I won't do any more metaphors. I, I promise, guys. <laughs> but, but let me. <laughs> I like Alaric's metaphors much more. They're much more scholarly. But anyway, chaps, uh, you know. It is worth uh, getting into the team selection today and and the tactical changes that we noticed. And by the way, we're not going to break this down forensically, but this is a good starting point and important. So, chaps, team selection, tactics. Shall I start? Mm. Go on. Yes, please. You've drawn the short straw. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I saw the team sheet, I thought that um, Stellini had done what I was suggesting on the pod last week and, and going for a... 4-3-3. 4-3-3. I think actually it was a bit different from that. But we did see a back four, or a back two, depending on how you want to look at it, with, um, say, Lloris in goal, Porro, Romero, Dyer, and Perisic across the back. Sara and Hoybier in front of them. Um, I think it was more like a 4-2-3-1. I think Skip was playing you know, far further forward than the other two midfielders, um, you know, more like a number 10 with, so Decky, Skip, and Son, and then Kane in front of them. Um, and that didn't, make a lot of sense to me because you know when I was talking about this last week I was talking about a three-man midfield trying to shield the defense and and trying to provide cover for the wing backs to get forward and I think as it happened in that first 20 minutes our back four were horribly exposed um they didn't they like clearly flashes convention back there for god's sake I mean it's like <laughs> unbelievable they were clearly very uncomfortable in the formation didn't know what they were doing and players were being asked to do things that they were really really uncomfortable with and it was as bad an opening 20 minutes as I can never remember see, seeing us play. I thought um, it was quite interesting to see Dyer giving Saar quite a last-minute kind of direction before the kickoff there of what he might want him to do. But, yeah, I agree with that. It was really weird that... Because um, Skip was sort of playing in a false 10, wasn't he? He was yeah. kind of... Well, the, the one kind of being asked to do a lot of yards up and down the pitch. But I think if you've got 
fullbacks that their best attribute is attacking. The examples we'd always give is Liverpool, where they play four three three, three across the park, and laterally they would cover the fullbacks. Yeah, absolutely. The other time where you've got you can the other way you can play is you play four two three one like we did when Dyer used to. Then someone will drop in between the two centre halves and spread Correct. the spread the centre halves out that then push the full the fullbacks on. Yes. And we didn't do either of those two things to say. No. I mean, the other thing you do have to be careful with that kind of those examples is. The two teams we're talking about that played those systems are in their pomp at the time. They were probably mm-hmm. Liverpool and us at that time are the best teams in the country. So we've been trying to do this for a week. You know, those two teams were doing it for weeks after week. So, but it, it, we just fell between those two t- stalls really. And it was just a mess from the beginning. It's really weird to me. I mean, you know, number one, and before anyone, anyone complains about the fact that, you know, oh, we're always going soft and mitigating. We're not. There's context. And the context here is that the injuries are appalling and we're a side that's set up to such a degree that, you know, this amount of injuries is clearly, clearly crippled our ability to play three at the back today properly. Any last wins of experimental three at the back were taken away when Sanchez was booed before he stepped on the pitch last week. There was no way that he could even contemplate trying that experiment again this week. So we were sort of forced into it. Having said that, um, you do have to, again, as, as you both pointed out, I have to wonder, should, should, if you're going to play one of them as an advanced, you know, as a, as a 10, would it not be, would it not be Pierre? I, th- I think it's, I think he probably wanted his experience there, although, you know, the experienced players didn't show up today or, you know, no. really offer any leadership or or, or anything. They were I, fucking I mean, terrible today, I mean, all the experienced ones. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you know, advancing skip it is something we saw last week. So the last few weeks where we've seen Decky playing deeper in the uh, three five two, which we've seen, and actually we... we we reverted to later in this game last week we saw uh, skip getting forward a lot so it was you know decky and skip either side of hoybier and skip was seeing a lot of joy down the left of of that side so he, he has been playing say more of an eight isn't it rather than a 10 but we have been using him to get forwards more so it's it's not it's not that much of a change from what we've done previously but i would have said the time to do that is later in the game start deep start settle try and get yourself established into the game particularly with a new formation if you're settled. If the game is going well, then you can start maybe pushing those players forward and, and looking for that extra man. You don't start doing that and, and just leave yourself so open. Yeah, but we were and, doing and- nothing. Sorry, I was just going to say, but we were doing nothing to kind of mitigate that mm. our fullbacks were not wanting to be fullbacks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In other words, we would just try. We didn't do anything, any formation wise, that would get them further up the pitch, but give them protection at the same yeah. time. I mean, I think Skip or Hoiberg could play that old potch. Um, Dyer role dropping in between the centre halves. I think both of them are quite capable of that. Well, you know what I mean, look, and it's let, just... me, let, let, let me bluntly say that again, and we've the, the you know I, I think Hoybier has had been off form for a while. He's most certainly the player I would look to for that. But look, this is not any one player's fault today. It's, it's a systemic failure. I mean, it really is. It's a systemic breakdown. And I think for me, I mean, we, you know, there's a question here about you know how to, how we played, and I think we'd all agree that's a fairly redundant question. Um, but you know, it does have to be said. Have you have you any possible explanation for such a giant capitulation other than tactical? And I'll ask you both: Why can't the senior players at two 0 down take over the situation and lock it down? There was just no attempt at all. I was I was really flab I was flabbergasted. I mean, do you, either of you have any explanation? Because I don't. I, I really am. I, I, I can mitigate it all you want, but there was a dereliction of duty at the moment, and it, we live life in the moment to an extent, right? Where were they? 
I mean, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say this was on the cards, but with definitely mm-hmm. the image of the team at the moment is was definitely capable of some performance like this turning up. We've had very much random results with no kind of like it's it's not looking like we're influencing what the result's going to be in a lot of games. And of course, you could. I mean, you can blame the senior players at the same time. Southampton, Newcastle in that other boat completely. They're running in the other direction at the moment. They're kind of on the up. They've got so much energy about them. Um, and it, it, but it was worrying. I know what you mean. Yeah, the Romero, um, Dyer, all the defence, and it didn't take long before we were like rabbits in the headlights. Basically, ever since like um, we made Joel Linton look like Ricky Villa <laughs> for that first goal. Honestly, I was just, oh my god, is this what I'm, was going to happen today? But um, but yeah, I don't know. And what's gone on with the captain today? I'm not quite sure. I mean, they say you know he was injured and stuff, but uh, maybe that's true. I mean, I think this has been coming for a while. I think we've been atrocious all season. Um, I think you know, just we're just poor, and I think a lot of those players have checked out. I think a lot of them know that they're probably going to get moved on, and I think that, you know, I think I think that's true. I think that needs to happen. Um, I think you know the coaching's been poor. They've been, they, you know, we've had three. I'm going to repeat myself. You know, we're saying this a lot. We've had three managers on the trot who've all relied on um, you know sitting deep. And then playing on the break, and all three of them have been found out very, very quickly, and then had no idea of how to water it afterwards. Um, and that's so. I think you know we've you can't adjust that kind of thing mid-season. I think you know. I mean, most of us when Conte were certainly Stefan, you and I when Conte went, we thought that maybe Stellini staying on was a good idea. I mean, we've been proved mm-hmm. to be massively wrong on that. Um, you know, personally, I was looking at the performances against Chelsea and City and thinking, well, maybe, you know, without Conte around, he could get more of that, but there's been no sign of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, you know, we look, we look like we're running on fumes, but what I find frustrating is that if you look at, if I look at the Newcastle team, I don't think there's, I don't think they're a better team than us. I think player for player, I think they're better coached. I think everyone's pointing in the right direction. Obviously they're in form and they're enjoying it. Our players, you know, aren't very well coached. They aren't enjoying it. Not everyone's, you know, playing for each other. You know, it's 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 a mess. And yes, I, I, you know, I'm drawn to the conclusion that nothing other than a you know a massive overhaul in the summer, you know, right the way through, it can put this right. Because I think you know the shock of this is going to live with those players for a while. I, I just don't think, I don't think though, you know, you can put out those partnerships again and that trust. I don't think you can rebuild it when something like that happens. So I think we really need to shake up. I think we need a massive overhaul now. And what's frustrating is that I think if we'd addressed some of this earlier and we'd we'd appointed coaches um who had I don't know, better ideas, you know, you know more progressive ideas, you know, more ideas in keeping with our our um our traditions then maybe we wouldn't need this you know this really deep cutting into the squad now um but it's got to the point where i I don't see any other solutions i would just say short term wise i could see why we we got rid of conte because obviously it had broken down with him in the dressing room and he we considered Mm -hmm. him toxic and i can understand that i think most fans kind of supported him going but on the flip side, we wouldn't have lost 6-1 today if he was still in charge. But that would have been because his fear remained, wouldn't it? He, he rules by fear and you don't want to let him down and he'll come down on you. And that's no way to manage a team either, I don't think. I think we had that with um, Mourinho as well. But um, but I can see why, because the fear of Conte has been removed, it's also relaxed the players into think. Well, not relaxed them, but it's kind of switched them off into thinking, well, it- I don't have to, I've got nothing to, 
you know, it's, it's not, you know, I've got no one, I've got no leader that's going to come down on me. In other words, we've see, got no one that's, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting you bring this up because I, you know, I I freely admit that I try and cut people more slack than maybe sometimes they're, they're, they should be cut. And I'm continually looking at the first team squad and I'm thinking, well, you don't have a director of football. You don't have a coach. The coaches you do have are kind of bewildered and out of their depth. The chairman doesn't really know. There's so much instability behind the scenes that, you know, how can you do your job properly? But I think of myself in, in a position, you know, with what I do. And if my tools, if, if certain like tool, you know, managerial tools around me were not happening, it doesn't alter the fact that when I sit down to do my job, which in this case is writing, you have to fucking write. Yeah. You have to write. You have to do the best you can, even if you've only got a paper and pencil, if your computer's been taken or whatever. I mean, I, I, it might be a bit too binary, but what I can't wrap my head around in that first 20 minutes is the possibility that those players absolutely didn't give a fuck. Now, I don't know if they got hit sideways by what happened. That happens as well in football. Sometimes there's something that comes through the stadium, it takes you out and you're bewildered. But to contemplate that they might actually have not given a fuck, it actually, it scares the shit out of me because it would make me deeply angry, deeply, deeply angry. So I can't contemplate that as being a reality, but I'd be an idiot to consider, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I don't not think... to be a possibility. I mean, I don't think it's that. I think they were they were hit. I mean, I think they you know, they came out with a um, you know, a plan. I think Stellini said in the post match uh, press conference that they'd been working on it all week. You know, most of those, I mean, most of those players are familiar with playing in a back four. Um, you know, Porres played. Absolutely. You know, Porres played in that internationally. Um, you know, Dyer and Romero both you know both played it plenty of times. Um, I'm not so sure about Perisic actually, but uh, you know they're, familiar, they're they're at least familiar with it, and it, you know having that undone within a minute, I think the doubt creeps in, and then having it undone again so quickly afterwards, I think they lose all belief at that point, and I think it was just belief. I think you, you're looking at you know you talk about the you know the psych, you know, psychology side of it. I think you're looking at a side there who are completely bereft of belief in themselves, completely bereft in the idea, you know, the belief in in the coaches yeah, I mean, I... And, and and the game plans going out there. And I don't think there's enough um, leadership. I mean, all the way through the season, we've been talking about why can't they put things right? Why can't they put things right on the pitch? They've, no one's been able to do this. No one's been able to do this. Yeah, and I think you're probably right. And yeah. you know, I. But it's really – sorry, go on. No, go on. No, carry on. I was just, just yeah. going to say, you know, I think this is a result that's been coming for a while. I think probably we, we needed it. I think, you know, bizarrely, I think we need it. I think um, – I'm going to jump ahead now pretty much into the next question. I think we needed this to happen. I think it needs to be blatantly a, 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 a apparent to, to leave you in the board – how bad things have got in order that there's a chance, the slightest chance that they might actually do what's needed here rather than another sticking plaster solution, which I think, you know, when we talk about Enrique and things like that, that's, I think is what we're talking about again. I, th I think they need to know how bad it is and it needs to be root and branch changes. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things just to be a bit, and, and look, this is probably the, the, the central th point of our pod tonight is exactly what you've raised. Um, but just, just to close off, I, I'm, I'm so, so disappointed in our seniors. I really am. You know, I'm so disappointed in, in, in Larice. I'm so disappointed in Kane. I'm so disappointed in Hoybeer. I'm so disappointed in Dyer. And I, I, you know, I'm not into, I'm not into performative dance on a football pitch. And I don't necessarily need people to go full Roy Keane and jumping around and screaming and shouting. But it did not look like there was any life 
or passion there. And, you know, you're forced to think that at least three of those players are part of the of the long-term problem, maybe. And, you know, this is coming from someone who's cut Eric Dyer more slack than anyone in the world would have at this point. But, you know, it's der- dereliction. Yeah, I mean, if we're rebuilding, he plays no part in that bit, rebuild. You know, and... But then, you know, then you look at you know, this huge job we've got to do in the summer because you're effectively saying, you know, we know that Sanchez can't play any part in that rebuild. Um, you know, Jaffet isn't good enough. You know, do we convince him to stay around for another season because we need homegrown players? Well, that seems really unfair on him. Mm. You know, if Dyer Dyer plays no part in it, so now we need at least three new centre-halves this summer. Well, that's, that's a huge ask. Um, if we're moving away from a back three, then we need at least two new full-backs. We're going to it's, make Steve Cooper and Nottingham Forest look like a, a you know a, a small a small acquisition club, aren't we? <laughs> you know, it, it becomes it becomes a yeah. it becomes a huge task, and 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 then you know potentially you know are, are we writing off Poro when we spent forty million on him two months ago? Yeah, it seems unfair, it's, doesn't it? R- Ricky, you should come in because I know that I'm about to go uh, go on to one. So please. Well, I mean, the other thing we need to consider at the moment is whether how how what is the landscape even for the next six games because we can move on and we could talk about the summer all you know for hours probably with the various ins and outs with um the chairman, director of football, and you know the other new guys and that kind of thing, and as you say, the squad. But um, because wow. people are going to still. This is going to churn away, churn away, churn away. So, it, I mean, it's, it almost makes me think that we just have to, for our own sanity, we almost have to just forget about the next six games and where wow. we land, we land because we can change what, what we we're going to let Mason take over. We're going to let and people and people come up with really kind of rash ideas that would never six games is going to do nothing for us unless we've got the next man instantly being able to come in which I don't think any of them probably would want to, and some of them might not even be available, then I think it's almost like you just have to close your eyes for the end of the roller coaster and then land in the summer. You see, I think a lot of this comes down to, and it's something that Milo, uh, you know, moved on to is like, you know, did we need this thrashing to bring it home to the board? I think this is where we really need to know what Daniel Levy is thinking. Make no mistake, a lot of this is on him. Mm -hmm. It is. A lot of this is on him, uh, if not virtually. So we can blame the players all we want, so on and so forth. But, you know, leadership runs from the top, right? So, you know, that, let's establish that. I wonder, would he be prepared to sacrifice European football in order to see, okay, let's spend the last six games seeing what a Pat, 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 Pastotsky, let's see what he can do at left centre-back. Let's see what Mundell can do. Let's give the kids a run. Let's see if, let's see if Divine can play 45 minutes. Now, I know it's not the ideal situation for these kids, but if you could affect an air around the club of, look, we're fucked in Europe. We're not going to make Europe. Let's just see what we've got so as we, so as we can understand how deep this has to go. Maybe that's an option, but it would only happen if Levy allows it. And I can't see him allowing that. But I just can't see how we're going to... Dra- I mean, that would be like something that is a small positive. It's the same with like, we could let Danjuma play the Lossitz games and then we'd work out whether right, he's any good or that kind of thing. But I just think that there's... It's almost to find any kind of big positive out of the next six games with just carrying on as we are seems remote. But then I'm just thinking that for the sake of the next six games, we just need to make sure that we're doing as much groundwork as possible for the summer, for the 
we've got two positions to fill, two massive positions to fill. I mean, beyond the, all the players we need to change and that kind of thing. And we just need to make sure, we just, obviously we need to make sure we get that right. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's one thing we have got. I mean, in, a, in an ironic kind of way, although it's like, a terrible end to the season. Um, it's not like this has been forced upon us, you know, in the middle of the summer or something. So, you know, that's a tiny positive that we have got time. I'd, st- I'd still like European football. I'd still like European football. D- d- like, even if it's just to play the kids. You know, you're talking about yeah, giving no, those think, young players a chance. You know, I don't if think that's a bad idea, to be honest. Play the under-21s in the Europa yeah. League or conference or whatever. Yeah. You know, let Ryan Mason take charge if needs be. It doesn't doesn't necessarily matter, but give them experience. In the same way, actually, when Kane first broke through, he, he broke through in the Europa League, didn't he? That's where he got his minutes. That's where he, he forced his way into the first team. And so, you know, I, I'd want to play for that. I, I think what, I did find it a bit puzzling today at, you know, kind of 5-6-1 down. I mean, I know we'd actually made all our subs in the end, but um, I would have been tempted. You know, it's a dead rubber game at that point. I would have been tempted to give some of those kids some minutes there. It's away from home. They're not under pressure. Just say, go out there and enjoy yourself and see what you can do. Because I don't think there's anything to lose at that point, particularly. That's the confidence. That's a, a manager who's confident in the fact that this is a blip and, and not a complete and, and utter disaster and, would have and, probably done that. But and, he's uh, on a hiding to nothing. But he could stand up after and say, look, the game's gone. And it's gone and it's my fault. And uh, you know, I just wanted to give them. I wanted to you know, give them experience, sadly, get them used oh, to it. No, I, look, I agree with you a hundred percent. But he's sadly not that guy. And, and furthermore, I think your idea about blooding the youth and using the uh, Europa competition, the conference, or whatever, as a as a, a, you know, a vehicle to play the youth players is, is wonderful. But then we come back to our fan base, which at this point is so what, like you so, know toxic. But, I don't know if they would tolerate it. But I don't I, know I, if everyone's on board with the idea I, of what we need to do here. People I, I need think, to fucking realise this is I a think, big job. I think the only way you can do that is if you're upfront and open about it, and you price accordingly. And so, that comes down to, and it comes back to one man. So you know, if you do that, if you say I'm going to play the kids and fringe players in Europe, and you know we're in the conference and it's fifteen quid a ticket, and you know you, you can get family bundles or whatever, then I think people will be on board with it. I think people will be fine with that if, if you if you're up front and you explain that. When people get pissed off is when they paid sixty quid for a ticket and then they turn out and see the resis put in a, um, a half-hearted performance. Yeah, Daniel, Daniel, uh, why start listening and start paying attention? It, 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 it's just that's the bit that's depressing because you just know. Well, you don't know, but you can pretty much guess that he is absolutely not thinking progressively at all. He's thinking short term and he's thinking of how he can salvage a little bit of extra cash from somewhere and squeeze something out of it. I mean, that you know that's where he's going with all of this. And we've just got to hope that the two biggest decisions in this football club's modern history do not fall prey to that kind of short-term, economically-driven thinking. I mean, I, mean I, I, I hope I'm not saying anything that anyone disagrees with, but we throw it open. I think it's a, you know, it comes back to if this, we did need this thrashing to bring it home to the board, but it's only going to be worth it if someone's going to listen and we have to pray that they're listening and that they know and that they get it, right? I mean... Uh, and to be fair, within their skill set to fix it, I think if we, you know, being critical of Levy, I, I don't think he actually knows what he wants on the football pitch. I think most of the, you know, the appointments manager-wise that he's got right, he's got right by accident and or has been bounced into it. Um, and I don't have a lot of faith in in him getting it right. And I think, you know, you, you know if you look at his... 
year's record with directors of football is is pretty you know pretty mixed bag. Yeah, we're and, we're at the roulette table. That's what and, we're saying, right? And you certainly <laughs> you certainly don't see any kind of consistency of approach across them. You don't look at those directors of football and say, well, okay, that's that's what this is what he wants the football club to be shaped like. This is the approach we've got. There isn't that consistency. I think after the um, you just got to hope that after the Jose and Conte experiment and going down that approach that he is. He, I mean, it looks like the Mung, the Mung man's turned up and we need a director of football. We've got the other guys that Paratici had already brought in. You've just got to hope that that is some kind of structure that's being constructed, that um, one keeps him in the area of the business that he's good at. And hopefully those guys are decent. Because we we can get somewhere if those guys are decent. Do, do you know what I mean? Do you know, do you know what I found from uh, regarding today's game and and today's pod and the notes and the chat we're having right now? I, I'm almost I'm almost lost for words. I almost feel I'm at the end of what I could confidently predict will happen because so much rests with a man who has made so many mistakes and who, as you, Milo, said, has stumbled upon the successes. And, and and here we are all virtually agreeing that this is a roulette wheel again. We've got to hope he gets it right. I mean, I, let, let, let me try and bring a little focus. And I, I feel I'm letting my sort of glum, <laughs> glum emotional state get into this. Let me ask you both, which is, in your opinion, the most important appointment, uh, a director of football or a manager? Which needs to come first in order to have the best long term or even short, long, long, you know, long, short term effect on Tom Hotspur Football Club. So you want to know what has the best short, long term effect, and what has the best long, short term effect? Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I like okay. that. That's right. And I'm also running for I'm also running for government next week, so you'll know that I can speak like a a politician. So uh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think what we I think what we're really lacking at the moment is leadership. I think you know, I th- think. Levy being, I mean, it's the type of person he is. He's always been like this, but I think his invisibility when we have problems like that is a, like this is a is a is a real shame. And and a good leader would stand up at this point and and you know kind of rally the troops and rally the fans and give us direction. And we ha- we don't have any of that, and we've never had any of that under him. I think that can only really come in the short term from from a manager. So I think probably a manager needs to come first because at least it sets a direction in terms of how we're playing. I actually think the director of football is probably probably the more important of the two positions, given how much work we need to do to the squad. And uh, I think the changes we need to see in the back room, kind of longer term, are far more important. Um, I think we just need to kind of modernise and pro- uh, professionalise that. And Paratici's done some of that work, but probably not in the shape that I'd want it. And I, I think probably in that manager... You know, when we, if we come to this point where we're saying we really, really need to overhaul the squad, we really need those you know, kind of big changes. I think one of the kind of the key criteria for them then is that someone who can integrate, you know, a new team very, very quickly and get their ideas across and get them playing well you know, quickly. I think it makes it a very different appointment um, if that's what we're looking for. Because um, otherwise, yeah, I think. We talked last week about how this could get very, very poisonous quickly next season, and the poison we've got at the moment could carry on over to to um, to the man- you know, new manager next season if we don't get off to a good start. Well, since then we've got the very real prospect of Pochettino being the Chelsea manager, which puts even which puts even more pre- pretty much done, yeah. Which is puts even more pressure on this appointment now because if he starts off well down the road and our guy doesn't, then. The, that whole level of toxicity goes up a level again. Yeah, 
That is a worry, Poch going to Chelsea, I must admit. Well, he's going. Uh, he'll go there. I mean, I, I, it's not a worry. Just get ready to read it later this week. It's going to happen. Mm. It, it, uh, how, 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 I don't see any other way. I don't see any way it doesn't happen. Everything I'm hearing is that it's virtually done. And you, yeah. uh, look, frankly, and we should address this for a second, you know, I, I can't blame him. He said he'd never go to Arsenal. That's about as far an extension of loyalty as I think you can expect as a Tottenham Hotspur manager. He's been waiting for Daniel Levy to offer him the job again. He's pretty much, as Milo has been saying consistently uh, over the weeks, been advertising for it, wanting it. I mean, you could, you know, short of wearing a scarf and showing up on the terraces, he's been telling everyone he wants, he, you know, he, he would take the job back. Uh, I was always sceptical because I just think that Levy is such an odd man that he would never have made a mistake. And this seems to be what's happened. I mean, you know, it, it, I don't blame him. Let him go there. And you know what? He's going to win the fucking title there. If the, if, if, the, if Bowley stays out of their dressing room, he will win the title there in two seasons. And he'll have Harry Kane on a free at the end of next. Sorry, that was a doom-monger statement. You can cut right. all that I'd out. I'd say we post. I was thinking about the post thing today. <laughs> and I don't 100% agree with you there, Steph, with the, um, because realistically, I think it's probably true we tried to extract him out of PSG. Mm-hmm. And so that would, that would contradict the point of the Levy wouldn't admit a mistake or he's got any kind of grief with the other board members. I never believed that I never believed that he tried to extract him as much as that's a whole other pod. That's a whole other pod. I mean who knows? You could be right and I could be completely wrong. But but And also I I think the other thing that would say that because the other I mean the other thing that Potts always said when he was here, he's pretty adamant that he didn't want to work for director of football. And we went after him when we didn't have a director of football and then once with that wasn't going to happen, we then employed Paratici. So in other words, the, we, yep. we kept the structure okay. clean for Poch. And when Poch couldn't come, we then went, oh, we're going to have to go with Paratici now and that kind of thing. I mean, you could argue that... That's a, that's a you, very fair point. Very I mean, you could argue that Poch would have to work under direct football at another club. Um, but the only thing I would say from Levy's point of view is, is if I've worked for someone for five years previously and they've, told, they've always been adamant they don't want to work under direct, director of football, if I then say, do you want to come back? under director of football and they say oh yeah yeah yeah, i'm up for that i'd sort of give them a bit of a sideways glance thinking well when you worked here before you just kept telling me you didn't want to do that and i might be a bit fearful as a chairman that he's saying that because he just wants to come back but i don't know that's the only take i've got on that but and a very fair take i have to say but i still want him back (laughs) he's gonna hate hate chelsea then because he's got two directors of football and a a chairman who thinks they're a director of football um I mean, I, I I don't agree with you, Steph. I think it's a really bad move for him. I think um, oh, Chelsea. I think Chelsea's got a lot of the same problems he had at PSG. Um, it's uh, you know dressing room. It's impossible to please, and um, you know he's very particular about the type of players he's, he he wants and you know, wants to work with. He wants to work with a small squad. He's not going to get any of that at Chelsea. And I also think that there's a, you know, the, play, the fans there don't like him because of his time with us. And I think that if they hit a sticky patch, you know, basically, you know, Chelsea like to pretend that they're, they're a project. They're not a project. It's a Galacticos, you know, it's a kids Galacticos project at the moment. Well, sorry, not a project. Well, and they're, uh, they're owned and, by Tom Hanks from Big. I understand and, that. And, well, no, hear me out. It, it's, I think you need a manager who can manage a dressing room like that. And Poch has had that once in his career and he really struggled with it. I mean, the, the problem yeah, is Chelsea I, think I, Chelsea think they're a project, but believe me, all the Chelsea fans I know mm-hmm. aren't in for any kind of project. I they're I, instant I, success I, I, I know. I don't want to turn this into a Chelsea pod or even a Poch one. I was just meant really, it just his name came up, and we have to have the chat. I mean, I okay. will say that you know, let's see how it pans out. I hope 
both of you gentlemen are right. Let's hope he doesn't go there to start with. You know, it depends what he's allowed to do there, what he's allowed to get rid of. All I'm saying is the potential is there for him to win the title with them within a couple of seasons because he's got some incredible young players, some of whom really, really feel familiar to what he had with us at 2016, 2017, if he's allowed to deal with them. But, you know, as you both said, I mean, it's not a great fit on paper. And let's hope that he has a Hail Mary moment and recognises that and pulls out and turns around. And now that we have no director of football, sees that his dream job can happen again. But this is Daniel Levy's fault. If Daniel Levy wanted Pochettino, and if Pochettino didn't want to work under a director of football, Daniel Levy never had a better opportunity to move the director of football he had on than he has had recently, given the the former director of football's, um, shall we say, legal conundrums? Is that okay? Can we say legal conundrums on air? I, I mean, I think that would have been a huge mistake. I think the only way that you should have Poch back is under a director of football. I think, um, you know, he's, I think he had a number of weaknesses with us. And one of the biggest was his attitude to recruitment. He turned down, you know, good players because he, you know, he, he always, he always wanted, you know, very, very specific. And it, I think it was a real problem with us. And I think it held us back. That and t- um, his reluctance to loan out youth players, I think was a, a massive handicap for us. Here lies the binary issue, which is that as a football club, we can't decide if we want a director of football or Pochettino or if we want both or if we want neither we don't know what we want we have no direction and that starts at the top and as you said Ricky maybe Scott Munn is the bridge between those you know people who can't get this right and the football side and maybe he will help you know I, I mean, he's not a football man but maybe he will be the bridge that helps I don't know but we can't even answer the Pochettino question on this pod. I mean, let alone expect Levy to. Well, I think alluding to what you were saying with Munn being in charge, Munn's a bit more higher up and distant mm. than the director of football. So you'd hope that maybe with Steinson and Scolding and if Poch came in, they could have a bit of a round table committee mm. for transfers right. without having a director of football feeling like, well, giving yeah. Poch feelings he doesn't like, basically, which is, you know, I feel a bit too controlled by him. I find this whole thing really puzzling because pretty much every club in the world has a director of football now, but I don't see any other club that has the dramas over it as us. I mean, you know, partly, you know, that probably Look at who in, we recruit. Well, no, no, I don't think it's just that. I think, you know, partly that's down to, you know, the chairman who's historically struggled uh, with keeping his distance. Although I don't think that was the case largely under Paratici. I think, you know, we saw, you know, we've covered this lots. There was, there's quite a few changes in, in how we approach things that clearly were a break from the past and, uh, and, you know, showed that, you know, it was evidence of him keeping his distance. But yeah, I really don't think that, uh, you know, we should be questioning having a director of football. We, it's too much for a manager. We need a proper recruitment set up. We need to start using, you know, be, being better with analytics and identifying players and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. You know, if we want to be a big club, if we want to have a you know, be a club that you know, matches the side of our stadium, then we need to act like it. I mean, even the small clubs are doing this now. It's just, you know, it's it's not the 1980s. We've got to stop thinking like it. Yeah. Yes. And again, we're back to the one person who could make a difference in all of this if he was decisive and had a direction. But, you know, so, I mean, you know, to answer your question as to whether this defeat is what we needed, and is it the best result for the long-term future of the club? I, I will, I will put my, I'll put my, plant my flag and say, yes, it could be an, an excellent marker, but only if, you know, those who need to listen and see are listening and seeing. If their heads are in the sand, it's, it's disastrous. I, I think 
you know, if we're looking for positives, you know, he has brought in Mun. He has brought in someone to run the, you know, on the face of it, to run the football side. It's something we've been calling for for ages. We can question whether he's the right man or not. None of us know because really he was unknown to all of us before a few weeks ago. Um, but, you know, he has done that. You know, whilst Mun's meant to be on gardening leave, I'd be amazed if we weren't consulting him and talking to him about who we're looking to bring in. Mm. There's no reason why we couldn't be using you know, consultants to be doing the legwork for us on that. Uh, you know, working with Mun on on bringing those you know bringing those people in if we've got a clear idea of what that that structure is meant to be uh, to look like. On the manager side, we're meant to be delaying because we think there's more managers available in the summer who we're interested in, and you know we're led to believe that the the three favourites at the moment are Nagelsmann, Slot, and Company. And in fairness. Uh... I, for listeners, if they actually care, I'm in Holland. For listeners, if they actually care, I'm in the Netherlands. Uh, one of my cab drivers did say, uh, un- uninvited, I may say, that he felt that Arne Slot was the best coach in Holland by some distance and, and uh, was uh, was going to be a great coach in the future. So and um, a cabbie's never first. been wrong, so that's definitely a one to A cabbie's <laughs> never been wrong. But this is a Dutch cabbie, so maybe they know that you know, he's a very knowledgeable fellow, I have to say. But I don't know. I don't know if there's much more we can add to this. I mean, we could say what we think of Newcastle. I mean, if you want to get into that, um, I, you know, I, I think... <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think probably the second question here is probably more interesting: is that you know, yes. did we miss a trick on not bringing in Eddie Howe when we sacked Mourinho? I mean, evidently we approached him about being caretaker, and he turned it down because he didn't want a caretaker gig. Um, and I think you know a lot of our fans would have been sniffy and turned their nose up at it because he was the man who had been sacked, sacked by Bournemouth for taking them down. Yeah. And you know, in hindsight, I think we'd all—I'd hope that most of us realised that actually that sniffiness was would have you know would have been stupid and that he's a bloody decent coach yeah, and absolutely. and and maybe we need to apply that to this manager search as well yeah. we're thinking that um we're thinking that some managers we have are above us as a club and we're thinking as fans we're above some managers aren't we in that mm-hmm. case you know what i mean we think that how's not good enough i mean i think newcastle i mean fair play to him all day long i mean i i mean i'm not sure how we would react i mean you know, being a bit aloof again with how we'd react to the, like Longstaffs and uh, mm-hmm. Dan Burns and Willocks and Murphy's arriving at our club and, he's, and Joel Linton especially. I thought he was a really agricultural player once upon a time mm-hmm. and he's an absolute beast for them. And the sign, the, I mean, the signings he's made and the places he's spent big money have been very astute. I mean, Gimaresh is a is is a, is, a, yeah. is, a, is a great player. I mean, you could. I mean, Gimaresh in our side would be would be wonderful. I mean, you, you know, and we could have got him. We could have got him. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I mean, I, Isaac's we yeah. could have got as well if we'd if we'd similar money yes, to Richie, probably Isaac. Yeah. Yeah. Thing. Absolutely. And so yeah. then we go back. Well, this is a, we, we can't to, go for back that matter. We could and, and we could and we could have got Nick Pope as well. We can't. Can we go back and start revisiting our previous director, previous director of football and manager, and what their decisions were in this place? I mean, Anyway, but I think what a mess. Yeah, what a mess. I mean, when Eddie Howe was appointed, I thought he was a short-term appointment for Newcastle and would have been replaced by Mourinho or someone of that ilk pretty soon. And I also thought Newcastle were going to be splashing big money straight away. And to be fair to them, they haven't. They've spent more than they have under the previous owner, but that's not difficult because he spent even less than our guy. And, I and couldn't agree more. Uh, and you have to, you have to, you have to give them major props. Actually, even though they are a, they're the Petro State, and we all don't like that, and but, so on. But Eddie Howe actually behaved like a football club. Eddie Eddie's Howe's job he's done has been organic rather than splashing mm. the cash, cash and you know he's, superstar. And his owners have listened to him. He's. He's added so much value and, and that value has added up to being ahead of schedule, basically. I think, you know, yeah. 
They've not yeah. spent that much money to be, and I think they will be Champions League. They're going to get that this year, and they've had a final this year as well. So, yeah. hats yeah. on to them, really. I mean, you would at this point say if they didn't end up in the Champions League, it would be actually not fair. They've they've done you know they've played really good football. Their structure is is good, and and as I think we've all agreed, they've sort of shown. Um, you know that how, how to operate as a cohesive unit, and that despite the fact they do have the money to spend. You know, so yes, I mean, I, I think, thought they were. Think it's, I, I think, thought they were having a blip, and they were running out of energy. But they yes. definitely they've had that for about a month, and then they've turned the corner again, and they're resurgent again. So fair play to them because mm-hmm. they've. I mean, I'm not that had Europe, but they went all the way in the League Cup, so they must have played a few games there. So yeah, and I've got to go back to one thing uh, with the game before we close out, and and it just really, really. I was scratching my head and trying to figure out. I mean, Hugo's post-match interview, which I really do think is is worth watching if nobody, none of you have seen I've it. I've watched it. Yeah, I mean, it's six minutes of absolute confusion. I mean, he looks bewildered, beleaguered. I'm sure there's another B word that I'm missing out that is along the same uh, trajectory of adjectives. I, 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 But when he lamented meekly, I may say, that the intensity, that, that was just, I, I mean, I... I Help, help me what was that I, I mean it's i said this last week it's it's sad to see him like this because he's been such a great servant for the club and you know it might be it might have been his last game for us today the way he played he was awful and um yeah but I, the I way think, he was talking about the energy i mean but, he freely admitted but if you if you look at his own how much of that is just footballers talk i mean you get all of this after a defeat that you know they, I mean, they I find it interesting that he gets sent out in the same way. Do you remember Dynamo Zagreb? Mm. And the interview is almost exactly the same, where it's just, you're the captain, you go out. And not only that, yeah. he probably wants to go out because he thinks, you know, he, he he doesn't say a lot, Hugo, but when he does, it's usually because he's either upset or he just thinks things are unacceptable mm, and to his look, standards. He so. didn't look like he was enjoying being wheeled out tonight, but you make the very good point. Like, don't just wheel out the club captain because he's the club captain. If you're going to, Will someone out? Will someone out who can at least play a little bit to the gallery? I mean, that was that was the milky tea of of tea. I don't know. We we put out Dan Juma last week, which I think is even more unfair. You're putting out a lone a lone player who's barely had a kick since he joined, and um, so you know, all things considered, I think maybe the club captain is a fairer one. I mean, I think the sad thing about Larice is actually he's made us worse since he came into the side. Um, he's a shadow of the player he was, yeah. and I was pleased to see him go off at half time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know it's just I mean, sad, I, I, it's just sad, I, I, and you know, and you made the point earlier on. You know, you you look at Dyer, you know, who's been a great servant for the club, and I know he's not everyone's favourite player, but you know, he was very good at one point, and I think yeah. I think age and injuries have caught up with him. Um, yeah. And you know, Hoybier has you know done a job, and you know, you go through, and it's just sad to see see these players who you know I think you know are going to are going to leave you know we talked about sanchez last week it's really sad the way he's been treated everyone's kind of forgotten that he had a you know he was really good when he first came in and best defender know, on the pitch today i thought yeah i thought he was fine in the second half I mean, we were he improved yes, but 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 i think but i think the difference there is that we settled into a five at the back I mean, we settled into a system that the players are familiar with and suits them you know i i, I, yeah. I felt for, i felt for sar coming off i don't think he was i don't think he was any worse than the, than the other midfielders uh, you know, we we had to change the system to something that they were the players were comfortable with, and we went went with experience. But I felt for him. Yeah, you know, he, he's bar- he's barely had a sniff since that performance at the San Siro, and he was yes. he was excellent that night. It's just so, yeah. so sh- such a shame. Such a shame indeed. I mean, let's you know, let's uh, closing thoughts. One positive and one negative. Uh, <laughs> his hand is up. He's ready to go. I've got Milo, a positive. Milo. Go on. I've got a positive. I think the one 
good decision that Levy has made over the last few seasons is moving towards electronic season tickets that are on people's phones because on Thursday night, the pitch would be littered with them if it was still the paper ones. So that's the positive. Wow. The wow. pitch isn't going to be littered with, uh, with uh, season tickets on Thursday night. Of course, the negative twist on that is that people will instead throw their phones on the pitch and there could be mass injury and an enormous pile-up <laughs> of, of batteries that, like, you know, nobody can get rid of. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, I see I mean, the I think if, if, that's, if that's the case, they'll just open up the pitch, won't they? And they'll just, it'll just all get swept in there. They can have a big skip under there and just... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the negative, I mean, just... I mean, that first night, 20 minutes, as I said, was as, as bad as I can ever remember seeing us. It was, it was appalling. Um, yeah. I suppose, I suppose the, maybe another positive, at least their manager wasn't in prison, which is probably the, uh, the other kind of real down point of the last few years. Yeah. Oh boy. Negative. I've, this, this, this week I've been doing some, um, key stage two environment stuff with my daughter. Yeah. So you like an analogy, didn't you? Steph? I do. I do. And I think what we've been doing, it's been Earth, is it Earth Day today or something? Something mm. to do with that. But anyway, um, I think we're akin, my analogies, we're akin to the old, um, Plastic swirl of the Pacific garbage patch, I think, Steph. That's what we are. Mm. We're like a like a gyre of footballing debris. We are. That's what Tottenham Hotspur is at the moment. And we've got mm. we've got the corpse of a director of football. We've got a sunken golden boot winner from last year. We've got a a, a record breaking goal scorer that probably is not going to want to be here anymore. We've got no manager. We've got Stellini looking kind of lost. And we're just swirling around. And like that big garbage patch, no one really knows what to do or what to do with it. What are the solutions? And and it's a mystery. We don't know what those solutions are. It's very difficult to see how we're going to clear up that mess. Just as, And hopefully we do, though, because I don't think the Pacific's ever going to be cleared up. So... <laughs> Uh, is there a positive? Oh, there's a positive. Do you know I've got a good positive, and that is Wren. Go what? down the YouTube, go down the YouTube rabbit hole of Wren, and if you want something to belief and something that affects you positively, go and check that bloke out. He's a legend. W R E N. Come on, Steph. You've, you've you've done it, haven't you? I haven't yet. Go is he from Newcastle? Pardon? Is he from Newcastle? No, he's an art music artist. I've just gone completely off. Script no, I there. know. I just wanted to make sure that people. No, you, yeah, you, you must have. It was on. The I know. Thing. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it on the page. I haven't gone there yet. It's been, Go it's there, been, mate. Honestly, been a bit of a busy time. Sorry, I really mate. Haven't no. Have just haven't got there yet. But I will get. I will get there. Especially as your your positive as uh, <laughs> and and quite rightly so because I, I I'm trying to find a positive from this game and uh, I suppose the biggest positive is the final whistle. I mean, look, if you were being if you were being academic about it, you would say the positive was that we at least managed to get some semblance of control of the second half but the reality of that is Newcastle are up for a stroll at that point and that any half professional football club should be able to get their shit together to not be as bad as they as we were in the first 20 minutes and and I'm back at your negative uh, Milo I think it's probably the universal negative for every Tottenham Hotspur supporter you know when you look at the clock and it's not yet at 30 minutes and you're 5-0 down I mean you know that's that speaks for itself you know spe- by the way before we move on i must make a uh, mention to a friend of this pod if i may um special mention to connor moakley who made his way up to newcastle um <laughs> stayed till the end did not leave and then uh texted us to say that he uh was on a train that was an hour late uh delayed and 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 the most positive uh um, that i could uh, yeah the most positive comment i could come up with for connor was you've earned your stripes this is this is welcome welcome to the deep club <laughs> and i and i mean that in a way as i said to him you know what you're never going to forget this day 
you're never going to forget this game. How unfortunate that we've all had maybe one too many of those with this football club. My word. Fair play to all those that went today, though. That's probably yeah, our longest away trip of the day. And they're, they're yeah. engaged enough to still make that journey. They still, they still have belief. Wouldn't it be nice if the club actually offered to you know, pay for the tickets or make some financial gesture for the fans who made the trip up there? That would be putting your money where your mouth is with regards to actually holding your hands in the air and saying that today has been a pretty disgraceful day already. You know, it isn't going to happen, is it? And uh, I think with that, I should hand over the week that was to uh, to Milo, so as my dulcet tones can be given a break. Milo, please rescue us. Well, here's something to cheer us up. Fabio Paratici resigned with immediate effect on Friday morning following his unsuccessful appeal against his two-and-a-half-year ban from working in football imposed by the Italian FA back in January and which was extended, extended worldwide by FIFA last month. Um, actually, I can't be asked to leave his quote. It's, um, it's a load of fluff and nonsense. Um, <laughs> it's uh, what I will say is that Greta Steinson and Andy Scalding uh, are continuing to cover that position in the meantime. And I think um, Stellini uh, confirmed as much in his press conference pre-game. He said he was reporting reporting to them. Um, we've got a question down here as what should we be looking for in our next DOF, but we kind of covered that during the match, didn't we? Yes, yes, we did. So, um, someone with no skeletons, probably. Yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? And I mean, so no matter how good their black book looks, it doesn't need to end up in a football inquiry exhibit A. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, ideally, I'd like someone without a black book. I'd, I'd like someone who who builds a team a black around box. them. Yeah, exactly. Someone who yeah, builds I mean, a team around them who effectively makes themselves redundant so that there's a there's a team of analysts who are identifying players and then we've got a team of people who are negotiating uh, transfers and we don't have this. I think, you know, if you look at Levy, other than uh, Mitchell and, actually, yeah, probably Mitchell was the standalone, isn't he? I mean, even Arneson was a bit of a black book guy, wasn't he, really? It was a kind of mm-hmm. list of contacts. Yes, I, think, I, I think we've le- leaned a bit too much on that. Uh, director of football who who've got contacts and know the agents and and can swing a deal rather than that kind yeah. of analyti- analytical approach that we're seeing you, you know used so well at Brighton and Brentford and you know uh, and other clubs and I really think we need to to get with it and 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 move in that direction. Well, are you talking about getting someone who actually doesn't shop at Primark for their suits and actually is not stuck in the 90s? I mean, that would be a really really great thing. It really would like keep up with keep up with what football is. I mean, by the way, I just want to make sure that everyone knows, and we have said this on the pod before, the black book, quote unquote, wasn't even as sexy as that. It was a piece of paper. <laughs> it wasn't a it wasn't a book. I expected it to be a little black diary. Like, you know, ooh, we found a little black diary. Like, you know, like you might find an MI5 agent leaving behind with all their codes and everything else. No, no, it's a piece of paper. That's what the black book is. So even even the black book was over was overrated. So yes. I, Let's Let's be positive about that, though, because that is a step forward. I know it doesn't seem it, but it's one load of indecision or something that's hanging over us. That's it a line drawn under that. It. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is need resolving for a while. Um, yes. Shall we now move on to our dear leader, Daniel Levy, uh, who did a Q&A in, at the Cambridge Union back in March, which was uploaded. I'm not allowed. I, 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 Ricky, I don't think I'm going to be allowed to read this because I think he knows that I might go off on one. So. <laughs> <laughs> You can go Save off on one. When, you can go off on one when I finish reading it out, <laughs> which was uploaded to YouTube this week by the Student Union. So we got to learn about it. Um, our publicity shy chairman took questions for about forty minutes, both from the host and the audience. 
and he answered questions about his upbringing, time in banking, buying the club, whether Harry Kane needs to leave to win trophies, the stadium, sports business, women's football, ticket prices and availability, and the new UEFA, new UEFA FFP rules, amongst others. I know you didn't. You, you've read quotes from Avenue, Steph. And Ricky, I have. Ricky, you yeah. watched it. What, what did you it. think? I thought it was quite um, vanilla, really. I didn't think there yeah. was much in there, really, that was that mind-blowing. And then again, you don't expect... I don't think he, I don't think Levy will go too far off any kind of like script that he's got in his head just because of um, what will come of it, basically. But I'll, yeah, go on. Our go on communications second. team needs to get a clue. Uh, re- releasing a speech that he gave to his old chums and muckers at, at the Cambridge Union. The club didn't release it. It was released by the university. So we only did stuff after after it was released. Okay, but we took but we took it on, did we not? I, I'm sure I read quotes from out through our official media. Did I not? I think we put out a video about the um, about the school or the academy we we set up um, at Lily White House. I mean, that was kind of the reason he gave for doing it is that there's a couple of kids who've got to to Oxbridge and particularly, you know, in this case Cambridge, off the back of of the academy. So I, mean, I think that was the reason for doing it. And there were some of those kids were in the audience, weren't they? Um, so the club did some promo around. Um, around the school off the back of it. Yeah, I should probably not say too much more. I think it's tone deaf. Given the situation we're in and given the place we are, I think it's tone deaf. And I think if Daniel Levy is going to speak about anything right now, it should not. And and look, again, this was done back in March. I mean, we should say that. And as you said, it was done, uh, you know, it's kind of an, uh, as I understand it, it was sort of like a favor to to the Cambridge Union. Um, So it's obviously, you know, going back and doing fine, whatever people do that. But I just really don't see why we we need to be involved in, in any promotion of it right now. This is not the time for this sort of vanilla rubbish. I mean, it isn't. I don't have a problem with him going to talk to the university. I no. thought, you know, like like Ricky said, we didn't learn a huge amount from it. But I didn't think, you know, the, the, he was asked some trick. I say tricky questions. Some, you know, if we were if we were screening questions, there's several there that were asked there that he probably <laughs> probably would have got screened out. Um, I think that you know, it's pretty clear that he's not a man who kind of reflects on his successes and failures a huge amount and um you didn't really get a sense that you know we're looking we're talking about someone who has a great kind of knowledge or understanding of the game but then we all knew that it's not as if you know that's a surprise to to any of us but i think in it, it, i think in terms of kind of you know, comms and stuff i think this is fine but what i'd like to see him doing is an extended interview uh, on you know Spurs play or doing interviews with the beat journos and stuff like that and actually getting out there and showing leadership i think in that in, in, in that in that kind of scenario i think going to talk to his own university is fine we agree to disagree. If he's not going to take on the hard questions, then don't go for a jolly with your old mates and answer a few questions about how great you are. I'm sorry. I think that's being unkind, really. At the end of the day, he said when he was interviewed that at secondary school, he was rejected, mm. basically. And he went to Cambridge. And I would, I would, I would probably guess it was life-changing him going to Cambridge because he was accepted and he got a place there and he he done really well for himself and he probably and what it probably is is he sees some of the chance he got there reflected in the kids that have come from the college mm-hmm. that, and it wouldn't surprise me that he set up the thing at school with that in mind thinking i had a chance i went to cambridge and he's done that for the people of tottenham and he's he's had the, he's had the email from them to say i mean whether it's true or not he had an email from oxford so that's why he went along and done it there's, there's nothing wrong with doing that it's a great it's a great story and i appreciate what you're saying and i appreciate that it's a life-changing moment and i appreciate everything all the points you're making are fair 
I will just ask you this. Why is this the only bit of promotion or press that he's doing? Because um, no football owners talk to the press. Come on. It just doesn't happen. So when Potter went at Chelsea, link me to the Bowley video. When Rodgers went from Leicester, link me to the Leicester video. They just don't do it. Where do the Glaziers speak? Where do FSG speak? They don't. They don't. It doesn't happen. The under-17s. So this is a good news story. So the under-17s won the Premier League Cup on Wednesday, beating uh, Nottingham Forest 5-1, with Mikey Moore putting an eye-catching display. Uh, Forest were reduced to nine players after having two players sent off, obviously. Oliver Iro, Mickey Moore scored two each, with uh, Therese Hall getting the other. Our under-18s are also in the Premier League Cup final, which we spoke about a few weeks ago in their age group, and they're playing Villa at Villa on Thursday the 4th of May. Well done, boys. Forrest went a bit cuckoo, and some of their players didn't exactly um, cover themselves in glory on the occasion with getting red cards. But um, Mighty Moore looks a player, even at his age. And is it Donnelly or Connolly, the other one? Yeah, Donnelly. Yeah, Donnelly looks good as well. And Dorrington in defence, I think, looks very good. I mean, Iroh scored. He's on a bit of a hot streak at the moment. He's doing well. Yeah. I think the worry about Mikey Moore is, say, so he's only 15 at the moment, so 15 playing in the under-17s. He hasn't signed pro contract uh, contract with us yet, um, and that's up in the summer. And I would imagine that there are going to be a whole host of clubs who are going to be keeping an eye on him because he's really good, really skillful. So I think that's a bit of a concern. Hopefully we can tie him down. Moving on from that, Luke Gunter, who's the keeper in that under-17 Premier League Cup win, regularly the under-18s keeper and captain has signed a new contract with the club, keeping us keeping him with us till 2015. Um, he's also made his under-21s debut this season. I think he's, uh, and he's represented England at every level between under-15s and under-18s so far. And he's Chris Gunter's son. So it's our first father and son pair for a while. May I read this final one? Go on then. Brighton Hullabaloo. Sounds like a bedtime story. I like that. I'll read it like one. We've been fined £100,000 for our bench not conducting themselves in an orderly fashion against Brighton last month. They've received the same punishment, but the little guy who started it all hasn't received any further punishment at all. Chippy little bugger. (laughs) With shit facial hair. Uh, (laughs) Well, it says thanks that was fun. It's always fun to talk with the two of you. I can't say it was fun to grind through the, the horrors that we're grinding through in Tottenham Hotspur world this week, but it is a therapy pod at this point, isn't it? So mm. thank, it's gonna be, I think we can I think. thank each other for, the, for, for this therapy session. Uh, so thanks, chaps. Cheers, Steph. Uh, we'll be back next week to discuss our games against Manchester United and Liverpool. I will be trekking up to Anfield, and uh, so you may be hearing me on an extremely dodgy mic in an extremely dodgy mood, or will we pull off the shock result of the season? We have to end on an optimistic note, don't we? Yeah, six points this week. That's what we're going to get. Did you say 6-1 at Anfield? No, I like six that. points Ricky. this week we'll get. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>